0: reading is from the New Testament 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 to 14 I am writing to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you dear children because you know the father I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Our second reading is from Jeremiah chapter 15 verses 15 to 21. Lord, you understand, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank
1: you, Malloy. And good morning, everyone here, and those of you at home. Good to see everyone here. Uh, just this past Friday night, Debbie and I went to the movies, something we haven't done for quite a while. Uh, and we actually saw the film, The Jesus Revolution. Has anybody else seen that? Okay, yeah. I I, I highly recommend it. Two thumbs up, definitely. Uh, And uh, I'm not gonna give you much of a a spoiler, but basically it tells the story of 50 years ago when the Jesus movement got birthed in Southern California, sort of merging the hippie culture from San Francisco with some evangelical churches uh, down in Southern California. So it's a great film. Uh, But one thing I did observe during the film, and I'm not sure how accurate they presented this, but everybody was carrying Bibles, and they were not only carrying them, uh, but they were reading them, and they were reading them together, and even as they began to talk with each other in the film, you can tell their language is flavored by words from Scripture, very often words that Jesus spoke. It just became part of their uh, everyday language. So... Uh, and it just reminded me of somebody I knew years ago. Uh, he had been uh, served, he and his wife had served as missionaries in Africa, and they were back living in the U.S. And I had conversations with him when I was a young man. He was somebody I looked up to as a mentor. And it just seemed like every time I spoke with him, he was using the Bible. And it wasn't like quoting verses at me. It just that's the way he spoke. God's word and his speech had just sort of merged together because he had God's Word living in him and he was living in God's word. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, last week, I would have began with uh, let me just get this set here. I think I just turned this off from my side I need to Yeah, if, if it's okay. But uh, last week, uh, we, we spoke about, uh, I was referring to a book project I'm working on called Heading to Halftime. And in that book project, it's just focusing on people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who are seeking to follow Jesus uh, in, in all of life. But life is getting crazy. Thank you, Andy. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and as we did that, focused on Christ-like maturity and this is the verse which I referred to in which Malloy read part of and this is in John's letter and he says I write to you dear children because you know the father I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning and I write to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one and it's interesting here John speaks to three different groups of people Children, whether just young people generally, or people who are new in their faith. He writes to fathers, those who are mature, whether men and women, uh, who know him who is from the beginning, have an intimate relationship with Jesus. But then he writes to young men, and I would say young women as well, Uh, and he gives them three things that he encourages them in. One is strength, Uh, and we talked about that last week when we looked at Joshua as a young man growing in strength. And the second thing, he says that the word of God lives in you. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And then the third aspect is overcoming the evil one, living in purity. And we may get to that at another time. But today, we're just going to consider what it means for the word of God to live in us, whether we're young or old. So let me just pray, and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time this morning. Uh, We thank you for being able to worship you, we thank you for how the children were able to worship you and raise great questions, but Lord, as we uh, consider your word, uh, we just ask that you would allow it to sink into our hearts, in our minds, that you would use my words today to magnify your words to us, and that you would have all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so life is complex, and it's becoming increasingly more complex and chaotic no matter how old we are. Work, family responsibilities gradually eat away more and more of our discretionary time. Even good things like involvement here at Newton, uh, ch- at our church and in Christian community, uh, can time seem draining and it fill even more than it's fulfilling for us. And sometimes our personal devotional times with God alone can take a back seat to more pressing needs. The tendency is for us as followers of Jesus to spend less time studying and meditating on his word, especially those who have experienced a lot of it through the earlier stages of life. We develop a sense that we've read this before, we've heard it all before, uh, and I just need to draw on those familiar Bible passages to get me through. Spiritual complacency can sometimes set in, and we begin to operate on biblical cruise control. We just draw upon those past lessons. Now, it's true that our past... Uh, engagement with Scripture can carry us through many of life's challenges, for God's Word does not return empty. We could take great encouragement from this promise in Scripture and ex- express thanks to those who previously instructed us in God's Word, for without them, we might find ourselves even more further adrift than we actually may be. Yet, if all we do is just rely upon a past spot deposit of biblical truth, this soon grows thin and even tentative. The Apostle John affirms and exhorts us because the Word of God lives in us. And in other translations, like the English Standard Version, it says the Word of God abides in you. And that's why I wanted to sense this idea of abiding. Uh, It's not a passive possession of some favorite Bible verses or knowing some stories. It's not a fuel tank that we top up on Sunday mornings here, as good as this is, we can't just rely upon this as the only time we consider God's word. Rather, abide suggests an ongoing, proactive, dynamic engagement with the very words of God himself. I call this abiding in real time. And we see this also in John's gospel, where he writes, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." So this is in a sense what it means to abide in real time. It's like an ongoing relationship with God's word that's shaping how we live our life day in and day out. And that's what I wanna help us focus on this morning. But before we begin uh, thinking about how do we uh, abide in God's word, we actually need to figure out what it is the word that John is talking about here. In the New Testament, particularly in John's writing, there's a dual meaning for the term word. The first meaning is most evident in John's Gospel at the very beginning. And he refers to the incarnate word of logos in the Greek, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here, the apostle uses the Greek term logos to describe the process by which Jesus, as the very word of God, right from the beginning of time, entered into history as a human being. This is called the incarnation. John repeats this usage in other letters concerning the word of life, and in the book of Revelation, John bore witness to the word of God. But at other times, we see John referring to the Logos as the message of Jesus or concerning Jesus. As Jesus prays for his disciples, he tells the Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Sanctify them by their truth. Your word is truth. And here, Jesus refers to both the words of Scripture at that time in Jesus' time in the Old Testament, and also in the words that Jesus spoke and are later recorded for us in the New Testament. It's in this prayer that Jesus echoes the Psalms where it says, your word is truth. So for us, which is it? Which meaning of logos does John have in mind when he tells "Ask for God's word to abide in you? Do we have to seek the incarnate word, Jesus, abiding in us? Or should we focus on God's revelation, scriptures containing the message of Jesus in his kingdom? Which is it? Well, you can probably guess the answer would be, it's both, yes. Uh, in John's exhortation, grammatically, either one would work. Uh, we, uh, I don't think that John could even see how they could be separated one from the other. There's no abiding relationship with Jesus as the Word made flesh, apart from the good news contained in Scripture. And conversely, how could anybody expect us to hide God's Word in our heart without making room for Jesus there as well? So what does all this mean? So this morning, we're gonna focus on the second, the abiding in Scripture, but we don't wanna lose touch with the first. We want to think about, even as we look at God's word as far as the written word, what does it mean for Jesus to be part of our life as well? So last week, we looked at Joshua to discover what it means to grow strong in the Lord. We didn't focus on Joshua as the mature leader in the promised land. Rather, we investigated young Joshua as a humble assistant to Moses in the wilderness. In the same way, This morning, we're going to consider the prophet Jeremiah. Again, not the old dude with the gray beard, you may want to imagine, but rather as he struggles to find his identity as a young man, as he's called to speak God's truth to a rebellious people who didn't want to hear about it. The life story of Jeremiah might seem a bit difficult to map out in the Bible. The book, which bears his name, is semi-autobiographical, but it's mostly a connect, collection of different prophecies. And these prophecies are arranged by theme rather than timeline. There's not a direct chronology from chapter to chapter, but there's an overarching uh, narrative we see through the book. We know from the opening verses that Jeremiah's prophetic period is bookended. And so here we have the opening verse. These are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth. In the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So we know this covers a span of about forty years, and we can match this up with the chronology that's recorded in the book of Second Chronicles, and though. Jeremiah will spend most of his days in Jerusalem. He was actually born and raised in the town of Anathoth. And Anathoth is about a day's walk north of Jerusalem. Uh, It was one of the four towns in the tribe of territory assigned to the tribe of Benjamin that was set aside for the priestly class, for the priests. And it still holds that distinction six centuries later when Jeremiah was born there. Jeremiah's father is identified as a priest But beyond that, there's little to indicate whether his father was a godly man or he was one of the false priests whom Jeremiah would later rebuke. We do see later in the book of Jeremiah that the hometown leaders, the other priests, seek to take his life away from him because his prophecies began to undermine the legitimacy of their business operations. Their boy was apparently bad for the priestly business. But it's hard to guess how much of the priestly rituals shaped the childhood of Jeremiah. Was he a typical pastor's kid? Was he trying to measure up? Or was he more of the rebellious sort, you know? Did he participate in the family business? Was he being groomed to become a future priest? Did he accompany dad up to the temple in Jerusalem for the religious feast? All this is likely, and there's no doubt he was attuned. He understood the whole sacrificial system going on. Yet there is one thing of which we can be fairly certain. Jeremiah did not read scripture. That's not because he was a bad kid because nobody did, neither child nor adult. Nobody read God's word at that time. They just performed their religious rituals, handed down from generation to generation. For by the time of Jeremiah, the Book of the Covenant, which Moses wrought, wrote and contained the very words of God, had disappeared. It's been missing and long forgotten for, for generations. It's possible that the priests at Anathoth didn't even realize that these scriptures still existed. And that's where another young man comes into the scene. King Josiah. We're gonna look at his story very briefly. So Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, and his father, Amon were the, among the bad kings. They went from bad to worse, and they reintroduced pagan idolatry and evil living across the whole of Judah. Thus, young Josiah, the great, uh, excuse me, so, He becomes king, Josiah becomes king, when his father is murdered. And at that time, Josiah is only eight years old. So Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. But he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. We don't have a detailed record of King Josiah's upbringing and education, but there are a few significant highlights. So we see at age 16, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Now, obviously, he's referring to not his personal direct father, but his great, 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 great generations before him, King David, as his father, and by the time Josiah turns 20, and presumably, presumptively, he's now in full command of his royal powers. He sets out to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and all the ideology which is going on. Josiah was making waves and taking charge in a way that the people of God had not seen for a century. But Josiah's most profound impact is almost by accident. He had directed the city governor and the high priest to repair the temple. Because the temple had, after decades of idol worship all over the place, the temple had fallen into quite a state of neglect. In the process of this uh, repair project, the workers were cleaning out the money boxes, and they came upon an old scroll among the coins. They passed the scroll onto the high priest, who at once realized what he was holding in his hands. He declares, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And this scroll was eventually brought to King Josiah who directed that it be read aloud in his presence. Now, it's not clear how much Book of the Law this particular scroll contained. Most likely, it was the Book of Deuteronomy, where Moses sums up God's law for the people of Israel before they enter into the Promised Land. As the young king heard the words of God read aloud for the first time in generations, what must have been going through his mind Was he rejoicing and boasting of what a great find has happened under his rule? Was he gonna claim the blessings and honor which God revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai? None of this. Joshua was terrified by what he heard that day because he realized the implications of his forefathers' rebellion. And Joshua, excuse me, Josiah, rather, when the king heard these words of the law, Josiah, he tore his robes and he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And this is where we find Jeremiah. He's still a teenager. He's probably 10 years younger than King Josiah. And all of a sudden, God appears to him. And this is what we see. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now, it's not clear how it was that the young king, Josiah, and the young prophet, Jeremiah, first crossed paths. Obviously, Jeremiah, growing up outside of Jerusalem, would have known who the king was, and he may have been very much aware of his reform movements. Uh, It's not likely the king was aware of this teenager from Anathoth, and not at least until God directed Jeremiah later. He says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus saith the Lord. From this point forward, Jeremiah is going to be hard to ignore. He is in the city of Jerusalem speaking God's word. For the words which he speaks on behalf of the God of Israel would be confronting, convicting, and ultimately condemning. So if Josiah's father, Amon, was still on the throne, it's likely that Jeremiah's uh, responsibilities, in fact, his life, would have been cut short. But God orchestrates the timing and synergy. He brings together a reforming king and an outspoken prophet so that they both would have motivated each other to persevere in the face of mounting opposition. Josiah would have provided the young prophet with royal protection during his reign and Jeremiah would have enabled the young king to continue his purges of idolatry with assurances from God. Both of them spurring each other onwards and also demonstrating the vitality and passion as young men. The rediscovery of the book of the law in the temple would be a game changer for both the king and the prophet. Jeremiah is not mentioned by name of one of whom whom Josiah sought counsel from concerning the word of the book of the law. Uh, Jeremiah would not have been high on the priestly list of trusted advisors. More likely, Jeremiah is on the list of troublemakers. Still, it's highly conceivable that Josiah made sure Jeremiah became aware of this book's existence, of this scroll being found. And Josiah may secretly sought the advice of how he should respond. At a minimum, we know that Jeremiah was certainly present when King Josiah called together all the people from the least to the greatest in Jerusalem, and King Josiah personally read aloud the entirety of the Book of the Covenant, soon after this, God tasked Jeremiah to go on the road throughout not just Jerusalem but throughout all the towns of Judah, to announcing this discovery and proclaiming. The Lord said to this is to Jeremiah. Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I commanded them to follow, but that that they did not keep. So how did Jeremiah go about describing the book of law to the people in the outlying villages of the town of Judah? Certainly neither the king nor the high priest would let him take the scroll with them and like a show, sort of a show and tell uh, thing. They don't want this thing to go missing for another couple hundred years. Uh, it's possible Jeremiah could have jotted down some highlights and perhaps a favorite verse or two which the villagers could read. But it's more likely that Jeremiah spent long chunks of time poring over this scroll in Jerusalem, studying the word's meanings and committing much of it to memory. this sort of reminds me of, of different times and different places I've become aware of, I know other people come aware of, like as we take God's word and we actually commit it to memory, that God uses that in conversations at various times. I know I've had opportunities to talk to people and that's, uh, as I'm real, talking to them and discussing something that may be of concern to them, it just seems like something I know from God's word can maybe help them, maybe bless them, help, un- under- help them understand something. So God uses it this way. I had one really remarkable experience. A number of years ago, I was in India, and I was part of a team doing a presentation uh, uh, for the churches across South India. We were in the city of Chennai, and there were a, a room full of people, and they were sitting at tables. Most of them were pastors at different churches. We were doing a, a series on discipleship training in local churches. There were also some lay leaders there. We were told that that we wouldn't need translation, that they would all understand English. But when we arrived, we found out there were more people from some of the villages. And so the the language in South India is Tamil. And so we had a translator available to us, which made things a little bit more complicated as far as getting through all our materials we needed to present. But as I was up there speaking, as I said, there are people in these various tables. There was one table in the back of the room in which there were some of these older women in their beautiful saris sitting there. And every so often, in the middle of my presentation, one of them would just stand up and start speaking in Tamil. And I have no idea what she's saying. And I nod, and I go, OK. And I, and I go on, and then a minute later, another one at the table stands up, and she says something in, in Tamil. And again, I have no idea what's going on here. I'm getting a little bit irritated because we're trying to get through this thing. And if you've ever done translation work, It takes much longer to do the translation than the actual talk. But so during the break, I went to the translator. I said, who are these women? What are they doing? He goes, oh, those are the Bible women. Among them, they've memorized the entire Bible. Different one of them have memorized different books. So between them, the entire Bible is available. So whenever you referenced a Bible verse, it's their responsibility to get up and speak it in the local language, Tamil. I said, ah, oh. and actually they travel all around India doing this, and when they're there, because a lot of the people are illiterate in some of these places, they can't read it for themselves, so this woman's these women's ministry is just, and particularly they'll follow an evangelist or, or, or a pastor who's goes, going or preaching at different locations, and they just serve God that way. So now I'm humbled, and I go up and I, and I said, you know, and I greeted them, and I thanked them, I tell them what they're doing, I said, take as much time to do what you need to do. I also made sure for the rest of the day, I didn't use as many Bible verses. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so. but in a sense, I think Jeremiah must have done something similar. He needed to get this word out to people, so he would spend time memorizing it. In, in a sense, he's like the, uh, the, the young, per, young man described uh, in the Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So here we have Jeremiah. He's hiding God's word in his heart because he knows he's going to use it to bless others, but also it turns out to be blessed himself. So one way of thinking about how we... uh, capture God's Word and put it into a heart. There's an illustration, it's called the Word Hand. Some of you may have seen this before. But it's the idea, if we want to have a good grasp on Scripture, a good grasp on God's Word, we need to hold it firmly. In doing so, we uh, think of the various fingers of our hand. And on the top, we have the four fingers which demonstrate how we have intake God's word. The pinky finger is we hear God's word. We come along and it's read here, or maybe as you gather in community groups, people read God's word. Or you can actually have it while you're driving on your, in your car, you can have an app on your phone, you can go for a walk, exercise, listen to God's word. The next way is reading it yourself. Setting aside time each day to read the Bible, maybe a devotional book, but you just sort of read it and let it soak in. The third way is actually not just talk about it, but actually study it, break it down, look at it. And we do this at Newton Covenant Church through our community groups, but there are, or you can do a study of the Bible on your own. But the idea of spending time and understanding what it means. The fourth way we take God's word into our hearts is by actually memorizing it. Finding verses, committing them to memory, and then reviewing them from time to time so you know what they are. So, all these things are great, but if this is the only way we did this, then you don't have hold of it. It's the meditation, the idea that we take God's word firmly and not just when the, the, the Hebrew term for meditate is actually like ruminate. Uh, and we have the imagery of a cow which chews up the grass and digests it into one stomach and then regurgitates it, and then chews it some more for more nutrition. That's called chewing the cud. Uh, And then it it puts the, uh, the, the, uh, the regurgitation back into a separate stomach. I think cows have like four stomachs, something like that. But it's this process that that's what the Hebrew word actually means, is we take God's word, we chew on it, we put it down, we put it inside of us, and then we bring it up again and we turn it over and we think about it newly and differently. That's the idea of meditating on God's word. And I think that's not, I'm not sure whether Jeremiah followed these exact processes in his own life, but that's what we see Jeremiah benefiting from, the idea of putting God's word into his heart. So the storing up of the very word of God, his heart, would have a dual effect on Jeremiah. At a practical level, which we just talked about, enables him to carry out his task, of proclaiming the word of God to the people of Judah. At the same time, God began to use these words to shape Jeremiah's character and identity on the inside. The young man eagerly consumed and meditated, meditated upon these passages, which Yahweh had spoken to Moses 600 years earlier. He did not approach this process out of a sense of duty or compulsion. But Jeremiah relished every moment he spent reading this newly found scroll. In fact, we see in Jeremiah 15, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. So as Jeremiah is out on his road trip, still as a young man, uh, he was not making a lot of friends. And undoubtedly, he fired up more enemies as the people who are already comfortable in their ongoing religious practices and are not keen to turn things around, even with this new scroll. Yet by now, Jeremiah had immersed himself deeply in God's words and had developed strong conviction about the power of them in his life. So rather than close his mouth and shut up shop, Jeremiah presses on, he places his trust in the Lord for protection. Indeed, at times, Jeremiah felt that he was getting the short end of the stick. The more he sought to do what was right and true, the more he was taking advantage of and slandered. As Malloy previously read to us, Jeremiah shouts out to the Lord, Why is my pain unceasing? Why is my wound uncurable? Why am I refusing to be healed? Will you be like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Yet God listens to Jeremiah and responds in words of comfort and affirmation. He says, But even more than expressions of comfort, excuse me, He says, I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah holds on to this. And he uses God's word to form convictions in his own life. And he delights in them. The joy and delight which Jeremiah experienced as he figuratively consumes or eats the word of God, reading and studying both the historical accounts and the practices for godly living, and then daily meditating upon their truth and relevance to his own life, surely these things sustained him in the dark days. Ultimately, Jeremiah discovers the true, his true identity as he immerses himself in God's word. He says, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. So we see God using a young prophet Jeremiah alongside a young King Josiah to call his people to repentance. And yes, God will continue to use his maturing prophet to stand alone against rebellious ideology of his people, even after King Josiah is killed in battle and things go back to, from bad to worse again. But God still had much bigger plans for Jeremiah in the decades to come. In the second half of his life, but first he needed to encourage his young prophet to hold on and finish the first half well. The very word of God which Jeremiah found and ate in the first half of his life not only sustained him to halftime, but they also laid the foundation for an explosive second half. This would be the period in which he was tested like never before. You probably reference of being thrown in the pit, being put in the stocks, uh, being uh, punished in so many different ways. He's re- Excuse me, Jeremiah repeatedly confronts the deceitful religious and political leaders, even as he watches most of Judah being carted off into exile in Babylon. And ultimately, Jeremiah is carried off into slavery in Egypt himself. This is a period in which God would use his proven prophet to announce something entirely ex- unexpected. It's through the words of Jeremiah we find that God makes a new covenant. Now, it will take six more centuries until Jesus comes and fulfills this. But Joshua, choose me, Jeremiah sets the, the vision for what this new covenant will be. And God uses uh, Jeremiah to set the stage for his coming. So what might it look like for us? To, what are some next steps for us to become disciples of Jesus in whom God's words live? Will we be developing good listening skills to hear and learn from the scripture as it's read aloud whether here in church or on our own? Would it be uh, focusing, a culty, cultivate a healthy and consistent pattern of devotional reading on a daily basis? Or have, perhaps we're ready to move on from just talking about the Bible but actually studying it through a community group? Or could this be a time when we memorize and review key Bible verses? But whichever approach we take, remember, not just the fingers, but to get the thumb involved, the meditation piece. Meditation is the end game of allowing God's word to abide in you and to abide deeply so you become fully confident what the Lord has in store for you. Jeremiah was the type of young man, I believe, whom the Apostle John would later characterize as having the word of God live in you. Because of this, Jeremiah not only survived the first half of life, but he thrived amid its challenges. He embraced his calling as God's chosen prophets of the nations for a lifetime. We may not have Jeremiah's specific and unique calling, but as we seek to follow Jesus in, uh, in our lives, ask ourselves this question, can I, will I join with Jeremiah and declare, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty." Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing men, young men like Josiah, young men like Jeremiah, who stood up against everything else, but who also stood upon your word and drew upon your word to give them strength and convictions, which you would use in mighty ways in different times and places. We pray that you would, use us the same way, that we can seek your word and draw upon it, not only to shape us, but to declare declare your gospel and your love to a needy world around us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.